in a world where caterpillars don't turn into butterflies. They just turn into butter. There's only one man who can spread the butter on the toast and stop the caterpillars from turning into butter in the wrong places and making things slippery and too buttery and, and too covered in trans fats. I am that man. <laughs> Hi. Welcome to Geek Film Critic. I'm Luke Jackson. I'm your host, your best friend, and your dentist. Let me see those chompers. Let me let me get them nice and clean for you. Um, hi. It's good to be here. I'm excited to be back doing this. It's been a long week. It's finals week, and so I've been busy doing that. I finished up my finals. Thanks so much for asking. But it's been busy, so it's good to kind of relax for a bit and watch a movie and then talk about it. Um, so this week, I, I took a look back at some of the movies that I've missed in the recent couple of years, some of the more popular films that have uh, flown under my radar. And I realized that I, I'd never caught Black Panther when it came out in 2019, 18? I can't remember. One of those two years. You think I'd get my facts right before, you know, starting recording, but... Baby, that ain't me. Um, anyway, so I never saw Black Panther, so I figured this week I'd hop in and try to catch up on what I missed. And, you know, I have some issues with Marvel movies. Um, as I've grown older, when, you know, in 2008 when Iron Man came out, I, I loved it, of course, because I was a child and I grew up on the comic books and all sorts of things. But around the time uh, Captain America's Civil War came out, it's kind of when I realized that Marvel movies aren't good. <laughs> they're very surface level, and the analogy I always use when I talk about them and why I don't like them is they're kind of like the roller coasters of films, where it's like, they're fun for a few minutes, but you don't want to ride them eight times over, right? And, and there's, there's not much to them. They're just very surface level movies that, that are fun, absolutely, but... They don't do much to, to provoke thought or further action afterwards. It's a, very, it's a very amusement park surface level brand of cinema and that I've kind of grown to dislike over the years and kind of dismiss as, as serious cinema. You know, I, I have my issues with it. But I miss Black Panther and, I, and I, you know, that being said, I've still seen all the movies, I think, besides. I don't think I've seen Captain Marvel, but I've seen most of the other marvel films in kind of the main marvel canon except for black panther so i figured i might as well uh watch it you know uh the oscars were a couple weeks ago and chadwick chadwick boysman was nominated and i've been meaning to watch it for a long time just because of its cultural importance so anyways i decided i'd watch it and so i i jumped in to black panther and black panther takes place after the events of captain america civil war and the death of T'Challa, who's Chadwick Boseman's character, who's the Black Panther, his father. So T'Challa returns to Wakanda to become king. And he hears of this villain called Claw, who stole from his father and really harmed Wakanda. He killed one of his friend's parents and all that, all that bad stuff. And, and, and when T'Challa returns to Wakanda, right after he becomes, he's made king because of his father's death, they hear that he, this villain Claw has resurfaced in South Korea. And so they decide to go apprehend him and bring him in for trial to Wakanda. And so they go and they, and they capture him with the help of 
Martin Freeman's character, who's Agent Ross, I believe is his name, who's a CIA agent who's actually set up to buy from this villain to kind of take him in. Anyway, so with the help of him, they take Claw in and when a in South Korea, when a man from mysterious origins breaks Claw out, he kills Claw. Spoilers. <laughs> And this mysterious dude takes him, this mysterious guy is Killmonger, played by Michael B. Jordan, and he takes him to Wakanda, and because of that, he gains the trust of many of the citizens, and Killmonger turns out to be T'Challa's cousin, whose father, so T'Challa's uncle, was murdered by T'Challa's father, the former king of Wakanda. So Killmonger has royal blood and a right to the throne, so he challenges the Black Panther T'Challa wins the challenge, takes the throne, throws T'Challa off the cliff, off of a waterfall, takes over Wakanda, and plans to arm the struggling uh, black citizens of the world to create a Wakandan empire to kind of overthrow all of the elites in the world that have suppressed uh, black people for so many years, is essentially what Killmonger's plan is. But before he can enact on this plan, T'Challa returns from the dead and retakes the throne, killing Killmonger in its in, in the process and he opens up Wakanda for the first time because Wakanda is hidden from plain view. So yeah, that's basically the whole plot of Black Panther. And um, the first thing that I wanted to talk, kind of talk about is the pacing of the film, which I had a few issues with. It's not the greatest <laughs> paced film I've ever seen. Uh, the first like 40 minutes to an hour all take place uh, before this claw dude gets killed by a killmonger. And you know how many days the, the this time period spreads is is um, it's unknown like it, but it, it feels like a relatively long time because the, the movie kind of begins with T'Challa becoming the king of Wakanda and then this this kind of first hour segment thing ends chunk of movie ends sort of with the death of uh, Claw. And so, again, how long this takes, I'm not really sure, but it, it, it feels very long. And, you know, it's it's rushed, so nothing really gets to breathe, and we don't really get to take in any of the moments. And, and it's frustrating, especially because we're meeting so many new characters that have never existed in the Marvel Universe before. And one thing that Marvel relies really heavily on in its film is contextual understanding Right, like if you saw Infinity War, for example, without ever seeing any of the other Marvel movies, I'm sure it wouldn't make a lot of sense. One and two probably not be very good, just because you don't understand what's going on. <laughs> Sorry about that. You can probably hear my dogs killing each other in the background. I have to separate them and lay down some some strict daddy law because I'm the dad, you know, like the dogs. Uh, anyways sorry about that if, if you come to this podcast for for great pacing much like the film wow talk about ironic anyways so this the marvel really relies on context and so when this film is is introducing all of these new characters at the beginning it's frustrating because we don't really get to understand them or really care about them because everything's happening so fast because the time is is so uncertain of how long we're with these people and so the the pacing at the beginning, especially in the first hour, is very, very frustrating. And, and it's also very formulaic. Like it happens, there's kind of like three major segments of like uh, T'Challa becoming king. 
them going to South Korea and them kind of apprehending Claw. Like these kind of three parts happen. And again, they're very formulaic. Like they all start with kind of this like title card of a location and establishing shot. And then we have these these few lines of witty dialogue, which are so token in the Marvel universe of haha, look how funny we are. And then there's like a complication to their plan and then a fight. And so this happens again about three times. And then once Claw's captured and in custody, the whole movie shifts. And when it shifts, it, it shifts into some really nice moments, which I which I actually really enjoyed. But this first 40 minutes really slow the entire movie down and, and really kind of distract, I think, from, from the feeling that this movie was going for and really had me, had made it a, harder for me to like the main characters and to root for them. You know, I think they were fine. And like, I did root for them because... I, like I was supposed to, but I, I didn't feel connected to them, again, because of the pacing in this first little bit. Um, the next thing I, I wanted to talk about is kind of some of the inconsistencies in the film, especially regarding Black Panther's suit. Because this is another thing that really bothered me, is we don't really understand how powerful this suit is that <laughs> Black Panther wears. And it's pretty evident from the movie that a lot of his power comes from the suit. You know, at the beginning, he, he barely wins a fight against Mbuku, his name might be. Again, I'm not sure. I'm, for a dude who's doing a film podcast, there's a lot of things I don't know. Um, and so he barely wins this fight without the suit on, but then he gets the suit on and he takes out this whole like militia. And so it's it, we're unsure how much power he gets from the suit. And then at, at this point too, there, there's this car chase when they're going to get Claw. And Claw has this um, arm and we get the we get the notion that his arm is made of vibranium and it kind of it's like an arm cannon and it can do all sorts of cool things and at one point he and this this arm cannon like shoots through things and at one point he shoots black panther who blocks it with like a book a bookshelf or something and he gets blown away and this is when black panther isn't wearing the suit but he gets blown like 50 feet like he just gets blasted out of there and then later, with when Black Panther has the suit on, it completely absorbs, his suit completely absorbs this arm cannon. But then at the same time, only moments before, there's a vibranium car, which Claw's arm cannon completely destroys. And so, I'm not sure, it just felt inconsistent. And then at another point too, after Claw gets uh, taken by Killmonger, um, Killmonger shoots Black Panther's suit with another it, we don't really know what it is he has kind of like a, a semi-automatic some sort of gun that he's shooting regular bullets with and then when black panther comes at him he has a different sort of gun on the gun which completely blows um him back when he's wearing the suit and so it didn't make a lot of sense and it just felt very like the suit would absorb the power when it was convenient absorb the blow when it was convenient and it would not when it wasn't. So it just felt like it was, it wasn't established, and it made the world feel very flippant. And um, this this kind of gunshot while Killmonger blows uh, Black Panther back also leads to probably the oddest plot point in the film, which really kind of bothered me. Is at this point in the movie, they have Killmonger in cut or they have Claw in custody. Killmonger breaks Claw out and takes him. Pretty simple. 
the way that they got Claw is they, they met with Claw in a South Korean casino. Claw runs away. They have a huge car chase. But then when Killmonger takes Claw and drives away in a car, they don't chase him. They just kind of bail, which made no sense to me because like the scene before was also a car chase. Clearly, they're okay with car chases. Even even though that their base just sort of got blown up in South Korea where they're holding him custody, the casino got blown up and they totally bailed on it. And so why they chose to bail this time made no sense to me. And it, like they didn't do it to further the plot so Killmonger would go to Wakanda, like the doy. That's like that's why it happened. But contextually, like in the movie, that choice made no sense for for me. And I, I didn't it really bothered me. Which leads me to my next issue, with which just is Michael B. Jordan. I had a hard time with Michael B. Jordan. He was bad. He did a he 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 acted very poorly throughout the film. Um, he looked great. Absolutely, he looked great. He was might be the most attractive Marvel man ever. Definitely the best looking villain we've ever gotten. But holy crap, could this dude not keep up with the other actors? Each line he had was cringy, and he just like he did not have the acting chops to keep up with the other actors, right? Like, he's on screen with actors like Lupita Nyong'o, Daniel Kaluuya, Forrest Whitaker, Chadwick Boseman, like, these amazing... Angela Bassett's in there, like, these amazing, talented actors. And Michael B. Jordan what just stuck out like a sore th- thumb because he could not keep up with these actors. And he really brought down the energy I felt of each scene he was in. And there were just like a com- some of his lines that he had were really bad. And it, it like he did such a poor job that it, f- it made the writing look bad, right? And, and Killmonger's character, he's, he's Wakandan, but he's from America, right? He was born in America. He was born in, from what we understand, sort of the rough parts of Oakland. So he has this dialect, which would be common if you wouldn't talk to someone from the streets of Oakland. Right, but the dialogue only exists in the writing and is, or the dialect, sorry, only exists in the writing and is not brought forth at all by Michael B. Jordan. It really feels like he's just reading lines. No emotion, just words. And I don't think that it was Michael B. Jordan's fault, like he wasn't trying. I really just don't think he was <laughs> he was as good as the rest of the actors, which is a problem, I think, in some of these Marvel movies is, is they they've become so popular that they can bring in these really heavy hitters, right? These really, really strong, classically trained actors that are that are fantastic, that really can bring performances to life. Not to say that, that other ones are, like Robert Downey Jr. isn't, a, like he's a great actor, right? But he's, a, he's Iron Man. You know what I mean? And, and so Michael B. Jordan comes in because he's Michael B. Jordan. He's a big deal. He's in Creed. He's worked with Ryan Coogler, the director and writer in Creed. And so it makes sense that he's in this movie because he's, and again, he looks fantastic, but he just could not keep up with the other actors. Um, the last thing that really bothered me about the movie was this whole idea that Wakanda is kept secret, right? This is introduced right from the first line of dialogue, right? From the first sequence where um, I think it's, I think it's T'Challa and his father and his father's telling the story of Wakanda. We don't, we just hear voices. We don't really see but we're getting this history of Wakanda and the fact that it's hidden. And this whole idea is, is, is a, a, an underlying theme in the movie that Wakanda has these resources that they've kept secret from the rest of the world. But it's only really, really dealt with when it's convenient, 
right from the first one of the first things we see is like is is these two Wakandan it's in the past and these Wakandan warriors go to visit um, the past king's brother in the past whatever not important but there's like a ship that they take that they leave from the ceiling that kids in the basketball court below are like what's up with that and so and, and like there's a scene where Black Panther literally puts his suit on in the street. Every, like Everyone sees him, right? They bring vibranium cars into South Korea, which I don't understand how they got there, but they have this technology that, that they're like flaunting, not in Wakanda. And so every time I see this, because they made such a, a note of it at the beginning to be like, we are hidden from the rest of the world, it really took me out of it and had me thinking why like why hit this note if you're just going to blatantly show yourself in the rest of the world right like and, and this idea of being hidden is very present at the end right the the, the ending is t'challa going and being like we want to share our resources with the world like it's it's a big plot point because that's the reason that killmonger shows up anyways is because he's like you've been hidden for too long all that crap, right? It, it, but it only matters when they want it to matter. And so that was frustrating to me. And like, there's this one part where Akoya throws into one of Claus's cars that her, her spear made of vibranium. And she doesn't get that back, right? So there's, and, and a big point of the movie too is that all of that vibranium is gone, right? There's no vibranium. It's this very rare resource, even though Wakanda's built on it. But she just left her spear in South Korea. The CIA is there. Someone's going to find it. And is someone not going to be like, there's more vibranium? Right? It just, it's so flippant and so conveniently present and then not present that it kind of bothered me throughout the movie. And even there were times where I wrote in my notes, I was like, I might be overthinking this, but why did this, why did this happen? Why are they, like, what's the point of, of saying we're hidden and then not acting as such? Right, not trying to be covert in your operations at all. Anyways, bothered me. Um, that being said, there, there, you know, the movie isn't all bad. There's some really, there's honestly some really good parts. The performances were impressive, besides Michael B. Jordan, who just couldn't handle it. And, and you know, I think everyone did a good job. And there were also some like really impressive fight sequences that I think Marvel really, really um, finds its stride in. Is its kind of cool fighting sequences, and obviously, like they're all. CGI and whatever, but they're they're fun to watch. And there's this one scene that it was, it was a it's kind of it's this really cool long take. It's one take, and we're in this in the South Korean casino, and we're with T'Challa, and Nakia and Akoya Akoya. I can't I don't know I can't, don't know how to pronounce the name, so I apologize if she's listening. Anyways, it kind of it bounces between them as they are fighting some of Claw's men, and it's a really cool shot as it goes through, and it's it's a cool sequence. And so there are some really really good movements or some good moments in the film but overall like most marvel films this movie is fine it's it's fine it's mostly forgettable am i ever gonna watch it again no i'm never gonna watch it again did i hate it not at all it was fine but it's it's not gonna stick with me i'm not gonna be thinking about it tonight i'm not gonna think about it tomorrow right and you know if i'd have to rate it i'd give it three inconspicuous vibranium cars out of five like it's it's an average movie <laughs> at best. But that being said, I can see why this movie was so important to so many people. And I would never want to take that away from any, anybody. And, and, you know, it's, it's, black direct, it's written by a black director 
by a black man, <laughs> written and directed by Ryan Coogler. And, and right, the, the cast is all, it's a black cast, which is just so rare in cinema today, especially popular cinema, like a Marvel movie that, right, and it's so heavily influenced by African and black and hip hop culture, again, which is so rare, especially in a Marvel type movie. And, and you know, that's so important. And it's not that I didn't get it and I couldn't enjoy it, but it was very apparent to me through this movie that I was not the target audience, right? Which is rare as a white guy because everything is targeted at my demographic, which is, you know what I mean, a 20-year-old 20, 20 white dude. And it, it's, it's not like I'm upset that this movie wasn't targeted at me. I'm just trying to make the point that that, that, I was, that, that was apparent. And that's one of the reasons why I can see this movie's importance outside of my own sort of vision and my own context and my own understanding, right? And I think movies like that are important that aren't targeted at the usual demographic. Um, Martin Freeman, who's he, he's the only white dude who has a, a major role in the film, he was asked about being the only white dude in a predominantly black cast. And he said, quote, you think, right, this is what black actors feel like all the time close quote so in a in an industry that is predominantly white you know it's interesting to kind of flip it and to get this perspective from martin freeman who was a very very prominent actor who was like you know what this is what it's like all the time for black actors and so why is that the case you know it, it makes you think about that and it kind of remind this whole idea of it me not being the target demographic Kind of reminded me of my experience with Greta Gerwig's Little Women, which came out a couple years ago as well. Right, Greta Gerwig directed and wrote it not for men, but it's for women. That's the target audience, and it's not that we, that me as a man, can't like that movie or enjoy it. But it's just part of the reason that it's so important is because it was so impactful in the women for for the women in my life. I think what I'm trying to say very uneloquently here <laughs> is that. I appreciate what Black Panther did for the black community because it brought, it did something that Marvel movies have never done in the past before. Marvel movies, which are so predominantly white dudes, right? If you look at the Avengers, all of the Avengers are white dudes, right? And so what Black Panther does is it, it switches that and, and is inclusive and has representation, which is so important. And I think it's a monument in black cinema and I think it's very important and I would never want to take that away from anybody. And because of that, I didn't feel right because because of my own personal feelings about the movie subjectively, I don't I don't think it's very good. <laughs> I don't think it's a very good movie objectively. And because of that, it didn't feel right going into the reviews of people and and, and kind of trashing them like I usually do where I where I go and find someone's review and I talk about how they're wrong. It didn't feel right just because People have enjoyed this movie for reasons that are more cultural than objective, which is okay, because that's what cinema is for in a sense as well, right? And so it didn't feel right to kind of, to bring anyone else's opinion into this movie, I, I especially into this episode and into this, my sort of review of the film. I, I wanted to keep it in my scope and in my context, just because I can see this movie's value outside of my own objective view of it or a specific critique of the cinema inside of it. 
so hopefully that made sense. I was a little bit all over the place. It's finals week. My brain's a little bit fried. I am running on nothing. Really just trying to get through this. It's the end of the week. I need a nap. And so I apologize if this episode's been a little bit convoluted, a little bit all over the place. But it's where my brain's at. And uh, you know what? There's three listeners, so I think you'll be fine. Um, again, because it's finals week, I didn't really have the chance to watch anything else this week. And so I think that's going to do it for me. It's going to be a little bit short of an episode, not too much shorter, but I appreciated it. If you've listened, if you've listened to any of the episodes, I appreciate it. If you're, if, if you're not my mom, I appreciate it. <laughs> um, I appreciate my mom too, but especially those who aren't my mom, who aren't forced to love me. But that's going to do it for me today. Um, if you have anything that you'd like to say about this movie, Black Panther, or any of the other movies I've talked about, or if you have a movie that you'd like me to hear me talk about, let me know. You can email me at luke.jackson at thegeekwave.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter and hit me up there at underscore underscore luke.jackson. But uh, yeah, that's going to do it for me this week. I appreciate again so much. That was me clapping because I'm so appreciative. Appreciative of your listening ears. Thank you so much for being here. And that's going to do it for me today. Thanks again for Geek Film Critic. I'm Luke Jackson. <laughs>